So today we're talking about culture of honor. And uh, if you want to dig in deep, this is a book that I read several years ago. It's written by Danny Silk, who's one of the pastors out there at Bethel Church in Redding, California. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it's a very, very, very good book. So if you haven't read this yet, I highly recommend it. You can see all my little crazy dog ears and all my notes. It's such a good book. So that's what we're talking about today. I'm going to use a few excerpts from that book. And um, the idea is this morning, the whole semester, the goal is to learn to pastor people well, to love people really well, right? Yes. So then today, the goal is to help us learn that honor is a tool that is learned and that is a powerful tool for loving people well. And if we're choosing not to honor, it breaks the Lord's heart, okay? So I want to pray and just ask the Lord to come and guide the words this morning. Come and help open our ears to what needs to be heard. Anything that's in these notes that shouldn't be shared, God, I'm asking you to you just cause it to go away. Anything that's from your heart that you want us to become more like, then God, would you please let that come out this morning and go deep into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is honor? Honor, the definition. There's several different you know, dictionaries that say it a little differently. So honor is high respect. As for merit, worth, or rank, having high respect for something as for merit, worth, or rank. It's also respect that is given to someone who is admired. So it's something that you give to somebody that you admire. It's esteem due or paid to worth. It's high estimation, respect, consideration, reverence, veneration. It is the manifestation of respect or reverence, which I like that one. Honor is the manifestation of respect, okay? It's the action in your heart and your mind that you think when you have respect towards something that you highly admire. So when you close your eyes right now, close them, and just imagine somebody that you highly honor, somebody that's alive today that you highly honor, that if they walk through those doors right now, you would have the manifestation of giving them respect, Does everybody have somebody in their mind? Somebody that you honor, that you would respect, they walk through the door, wow, I respect what this person is and what they do, okay? So that's, that's a little bit of what honor is. Here's a, a quote out of Culture of Honor. It says, the principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give those people what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Okay? I'll read it again. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are, it will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Jonathan, put it on the screen. This is the whole sermon right here, so just get ready. Say it with me. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Let's start the first part. It says, the principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are. Okay? So think about what that means. When you look at a person, you accurately acknowledge who they are. Who is this person truly? I've got to be able to accurately acknowledge that's who this person is. If I can do that, then I can give that person what they need 
to be all that they're supposed to be. And then that positions me to receive the gift of who they are in my life. Okay? Let's say it together again. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Stand up with me. Say it. (laughs) The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. One more time. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Last time, I promise. For now, the principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can write it down because I think this is such a brilliant principle to live by. You can just leave it up the whole time. In fact, not only is this something that we should live by, but this is something that God himself lives by, okay? Strange to think that God lives by principles, right? But this is a principle that God himself lives by. God always accurately acknowledges who a person is. And then it allows him to give that person every resource they need to become who they really are. And out of that, then he positions himself to receive the gift of who that person is on the earth and to receive glory and honor from it for years to come. Okay? Which is crazy to think that the Lord works by this principle, but I think it's so true. So if you look through the Bible, you're going to see this over and over and over and over and over again. You see Abraham. He's just a plain dude. Nothing special about him. And God comes down, and it's like God just kind of watching. He's kind of got his laser focused, you know, kind of like uh, Eddie Paris has his laser. God's got his laser looking around, and then he sees inside of Abraham. And again, he speaks, Abraham, you are the father of nations. This is who you are. I have great plans for you. We're going to change the world together. And then out of that place, God gives him everything he needs so that Abraham can become that in fact. And then God receives glory literally for eternity because of what he invested in Abraham. Because he spoke, this is who Abraham is. He did it with Moses. Moses is a murderer. He's a punk. He's a rebel. He's a nobody in the middle of the desert. And God has got his laser on Moses and comes up to him and says, Moses, whoa, buddy, you are like the savior of Israel. Wow. Do you recognize this? You are the deliverer. And Moses is like, clearly you know nothing because I'm a murderer and I'm a nobody watching sheep for decades in the desert. But God sees, God proclaims, God invests into Moses everything he needs so that he can become who he's called to be, who God sees him to be. And then God gets the glory and the honor for eternity, right? Another good one was Gideon. Gideon was this little scaredy cat, little scrawny, puny, little scaredy cat Israelite. He's hiding in the barn doing his work because he's afraid the Philistines are going to come and beat him up and take his food. (laughs) 
And in the midst of hiding and being scared and being a little weakling, God shows up to him and says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. We're going to do this thing together and take back what's ours. And Gideon thinks, uh, wrong person. But again, God sees, God invests, God receives the glory for it. With Jacob, he was a lying trickster, a terrible person that his brother hated. He had to run away from his brother. And in that place at Bethel, Jacob comes before God, and God looks down and says, Jacob, this is who you are. This is the real you. And in a moment, everything changes, and through that identity being stamped on him, it all changes, and God begins to invest in him, and then God receives the glory. So let's say it again together. The principle of honor states that accurately... One more time. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Amen. That's so good. So God watches with his little laser and then he proclaims and then he gives and then he receives. Something we got to remember about God is that he is outside of time. So even though we can't see what's happening in five minutes down the road, he already sees all of it. He already understands what has happened and what will happen, and it's all squished together sometime, somehow in his brain. He sees it all. And so there's a difference from when God is encouraging somebody and says, hey, you can do it. You're, you're going to make, you can, I bet you can. God encourages people. But then there's a difference from when God proclaims this is reality. So God looks at people and he says, you are a mighty deliverer. It's not because he's encouraging them. It's because he is presently seeing who they are right now in his realm. And though that might be decades and decades and decades away from reality, he sees it as fact. And so he proclaims it as fact. This is reality, even though we're not there yet. And out of the knowing and the understanding of what reality is, he gladly gives all the resources that he needs to give so that that person can become that because he knows there will be reward on the end. Isn't it interesting that even God himself is motivated by reward? Right? That's always kind of a weird thing in the Christian realm. Hebrews 11 talks about those who, those who have their faith in God will be rewarded, right? And we think, oh, it just needs to be about love. But look, even God, even Jesus was motivated by reward. The reward set before him, the joy set before him, allowed him to continue and die on the cross like he did. Okay? So God sees presently what is. And so if God says something over you and says, this is who you are, it's not a prophetic encouragement. It is a, God says, this is what I currently see. At the end of your life, this is what I currently see. This is who you are. And if he proclaims that over you or over somebody around you, then we need to be able to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, I don't care how crazy this sounds or what, how crazy it looks in the moment. God sees it as current reality, and so I'm going to put all of my hope and trust in that. And I'm going to give all my resources to that to help that happen because I believe it because it is reality in his realm. Amen?
That was good. <laughs> it's like um, a Biggest Loser contestant, right? Somebody goes in the Biggest Loser, you know, 400, 500 pounds, large people. We know without question if they will stay on the ranch, they will be different. They will be a whole lot smaller. So it's like when God looks at people, maybe we see the before version, but God is seeing the after version that's like it's supposed to be. He sees it currently. That's how we need to be based on what he speaks to us, what he proclaims to us about people. Or it's like this. If you're gold mining and you um, want to go up to Alaska in the Klondike and a lease of land costs $100,000 for six months to mine the gold out of it, okay? When we look at the land, we see trees and mud and rocks and dirt. We don't see anything. But when God looks at it, God says, there's a million dollars worth of gold right here. He sees it as reality. So how many of us, how easy would it be for all of us to invest $100,000? We would do anything it took. We would go find the money somehow. We would sell whatever we had to sell. Without question, we would find the $100,000 to invest $100,000 if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a million dollars worth of gold in that land. So that's how God operates. He sees it already as fact. Okay? And then he proclaims it, and then he waits patiently for it to happen. And that's how we should be as well. All right. One of my favorite uh, people right now is Marcus Lemonis. Anybody know him? Marcus Lemonis? Nobody? There's a show on TV called The Prophet. You've never seen this show? You would love this show. Oh, my gosh. Really? Okay, it's like Shark Tank, but it's more in real life. Okay, so it's this one guy who um, has invested, I th the last I heard, I think it was like a quarter, this, I could be totally making this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was like 200 million something. It was crazy how much money he's invested into these businesses. So he's an entrepreneur. He's brilliant. He thinks through things really well. He sees things like they could be, and he gives it the resources that it needs. So he comes into like a sandwich shop and thinks, oh my gosh, I love this sandwich. This is a great product. You're falling to pieces. You're about to shut your doors. I'll give you a check for this much money. I'll buy half of the business. I'm 100% totally in charge of your business now. And I'm going to fix everything here. I'm going to give you all the resources you need to make this restaurant work like it's supposed to. We're going to prove the concept. And then once it works, we're going to franchise it all across the nation. And so every week on this show called The Profit... He does that over and over and over and over with like different restaurants. And have you ever heard of Camping World? It's like the nation's largest RV store. He owns it. Um, so he does that all over. He's got car stores. He's got sign shops. He's got restaurants. He's got all this kind of stuff. And you can see as you watch episode after episode, you can see the, the brilliance behind the scenes. You know, he'll be, he'll be like randomly picking a sign shop. But then all of a sudden, the sign shop is producing signs for all of Camping World and all the car shops and all the restaurants, right? So he's like slowly piecing together these businesses that become honestly like an empire <laughs> of business where he's investing in people. But my favorite thing about him is he goes in and he sees this, this thing that we, you and I, we would never see the potential in these businesses. But he sees it like that laser that God has. And he looks at this person, he looks at the product, and he looks at what we have, and he says, this is, you know, we have thousands of franchises across the whole nation making hundreds of millions of dollars. 
And so I'm going to give you $200,000 even though you made $30,000 last year. And I'm going to give you $200,000 worth of equipment to fix the place even though we made $30,000 last year. And we're going to make this right because it will become this thing. Marcus functions like the Lord functions. Marcus functions like we need to function. Okay? And honestly... We need to function like Marcus, maybe more so than the Lord. The Lord can already see, so he's cheating. He sees what is reality. Marcus can't quite see true reality. Sometimes he gives several hundred thousand dollars, $500,000, maybe a million dollars to a business, and the, the business owner freaks out, gets in a giant fight, and just loses it. And Marcus just says, you know what, it's not worth my time. I'm out of here. And he will literally walk away, leave all the money on the field, just not to be in business with that person. It's crazy. Okay? But he's willing to take risk with his resources so that he can find the reward in those investments. Okay? That's how we've got to be with people. Here's another quote from Culture of Honor. It says, In a culture of honor, leaders lead with honor by courageously treating people according to the names God gives them and not according to the aliases they receive from people. Oh, Grant, that's good. That's real good right there. Mm, man, Whoa, who'd, you get, who'd you get that quote? Man, that, that was Danny Silk. It was really good. Again, it says, in a culture of honor, leaders lead with honor by courageously treating people according to the names God gives them and not according to the aliases they receive from people. You're a loser. You're washed up. You're never going to make it. You're lazy. Whatever those aliases are that get stamped on people, leaders, you guys in the room are going to be able to see into people. God said this. The reason he said this is because he already sees it as present reality. So I believe that as well. If we're to love like God does, we can't do it without honoring people. We must find out how God sees people, and we have to adopt that belief system into ours as our own belief system. And then we must give them what they deserve, so they can become what God says, and then we will receive the gift of them in our lives. Amen? Okay, so practically, how do we do it? Number one, parentheses, number one, we have to stop and we have to ask God, how do you see this person? <laughs> I know, it's like brain science, it's so hard. Number one, stop and ask God, how do you see this person? Sometimes it's easier to honor people. Sometimes it's difficult to honor people. Raise your hand if you can think of somebody that's difficult to honor. I had a situation in the last few months where this person was in a role that I didn't necessarily think they should be in. And I saw a lot of gaping holes in the thing that affected a lot of people. I had a very difficult time honoring this person. And I have to say, I didn't honor them well, right? Sometimes it's hard to honor people because they're people, right? So how do I do it? I should have stopped and I should have closed my eyes and gone away for a while and said, God, please, I beg of you, please show me who do you say this person is, okay? And I should have stayed in that little corner in the hole until he spoke. I really should have. <laughs> I didn't. All right. So you have to ask God, what do you say about them? Did you know that you are in a battle between good and evil? I think everybody in here knows that, right? 
Did you know that the battleground is your mind? Say, it's in my mind. The battleground is your mind. That's where the fight happens between good and evil. So your thoughts and your beliefs, the battle is for your thoughts and for your beliefs. And the question is always, are you going to believe what God says? Or are you going to believe what the enemy wants you to think? If you believe what God says, you will live an abundant life and you will have joy and peace and prosperity and blessings and honor and all good things. If you believe the things that the enemy wants you to believe, you will cry a whole lot. You'll have a lifestyle of tears, okay? That's just how it works, plain and simple. It all comes down to what are you thinking? Are you believing and aligning with God's thoughts? Are you believing and aligning with how the enemy thinks? Tears? Abundance, joy, tears, abundance, joy. Okay? Everybody's got that. So this applies in every area of our life, including how you love and honor people. We have to take time to stop and allow the Lord to correct wrong thinking we have about people. We're not going to love people well if we don't take the time to stop. God, who do you say this person is? Who do you see this person is? Let him speak a proclamation over that person as the reality of who they are. And then repent. Number two is repent for wrong thinking in your mind. <coughs> the Lord says this is the most... Uh, grace-filled, giving, sweet person I've ever seen. And you look at them and you think, mm, I'm not so sure about that, Lord. <laughs> then I need to repent. God, I'm sorry that I believe this about this person. I'm believing the enemy's thoughts. I'm coming against your thoughts. I repent. I believe that this person is reality. I'm going to give of myself so that they can become, so that they get what they deserve be based on who they really are. So that I can have a, they can bring a reward into my life. Okay? <clears throat> number three, speak life and honor with your words. So number one is ask. Number two is repent. Number three is speak with your words. Did you know that in your tongue are the power of life and death? You did. Wow. It's like you've been around for a while. Okay? God his words carry life inside of them. He created the entire universe with his words. And when words came out, the universe came out because there's life in his words. He created us after his image. Therefore, he's given our words life and power to go along with it. If they're not speaking life, they're speaking death. And when we speak about people, we're either bringing life into them or we're bringing death into them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't walk with the Lord. People can speak death over me, but because I'm with the Lord and I agree with the Lord, I'm protected and covered by the Lord, the death words can't reside. They can't land upon me, okay? But there's people who are not close to the Lord, and when we dishonor them with our words, we're speaking death over them, and they come and stick, and they stay on the person. And then you look at them, and you wonder, why is their life in shambles? Why are these things falling apart? Why don't they just get it together? It's because people are speaking death over them and dishonor over them, and it's sticking. Your words have power. And that's true when you're speaking face-to-face, -face, and it's true when you're speaking behind their back. Your words will make their way into their life. Okay? So we have to pay attention to the words coming out of our mouth, and we have to be people who speak life. Let me ask you this. What do you think God does when somebody comes against his plans? I'll just drink for a while. Anybody have any ideas? What's God do? Somebody comes against him. What do you think he does? 
It's not a, it's not a trick question, I promise. <laughs> when somebody comes against God, he pushes them out of the way and he does his thing. Right. He doesn't let them run all over him. He, he's God. He's a strong man. He will rise up and he will fight against them. He will oppose them. When somebody opposes him, he will oppose them. Okay? Now, his plan for every single person on the earth is for them to be in relationship with him and them to be in abundant life with him, walking in love with him. So when we dishonor people, we're speaking death over the people that he loves the most, that he wants to be in abundance with. His plan for them is life, and we are speaking death. We are opposing the Lord in those moments when we dishonor people with our words. I don't want to be somebody who opposes God because he's going to win <laughs> every time, right? So we have to be kind of serious about this. It really does matter, and it breaks the heart of God when we dishonor people with our words. Okay, so how about this? How do we honor people who hurt us? Mm, say, Grant, oh, that's a good question. Mm, yeah, tell me that. I don't know. Y'all tell me. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. First, forgive. Yes. Okay, so there's people in your life who you're called to honor, but they've done things that do not deserve honor. Anybody have that in your life? Okay. I think most everybody would, okay? So there's people in your life who you are called by God to honor and to see who they really are, but they've done very bad things in your life that do not deserve honor, okay? So how do we deal with that dichotomy? That's good. Yeah, yeah. So doing what, what God says, seeing who they really are and acting out of that. Now, sometimes um, I want to make it clear that loving people and honoring people does not mean you have to be stupid. Okay? Repeat it after me. Loving and honoring people does not mean I have to be stupid. Okay. So what I mean by that. Sometimes people hurt us, and it's okay to put boundaries up to protect yourself so that you don't get hurt in the same way. When you're flying in an airplane, there's an emergency. The mask comes down. What do they say? Adults, put your mask on first, and then take care of the people around you, right? If you're not protecting and taking care of yourself, then it's not a good situation, okay? So first and foremost, realize sometimes boundaries need to be put in place, even though you're on, you can honor somebody and love somebody very well, but still be real and have boundaries based on actions that have happened in the past. There's consequences for actions that have happened in the past, okay? So love and honor doesn't mean I have to be stupid. That's the first thing. When people hurt you or fall short of the goal they operate out of, they're, they're operating out of lack, Something in their life is missing. There's a hole in their life, and something is being drained out of the life and the wholeness that God wants them to have. It's just flowing out of their life somewhere, okay? When you have a bike tire, and you're riding along, and the bike tire goes flat, you got to get off, okay? The air goes out. you got to get off, 
Take it over. If, raise your hand if you've ever fixed a flat on a bike. All right. So you all know the, the best way to do it is get a bucket, stick it full of water, shove the tire into it, pump it full of internal pressure, and then rotate the tube around until you find the leak, which creates bubbles around that area. Okay? So when somebody hurts you in their life, they've done it because they've got a lack in their own life. As pastoral people, as loving, honoring people, the best thing we can do is to help those people, not to punish those people, but to help those people realize, hey, you're operating out of lack. Let me help you find the hole that's causing this lack inside of your life that caused you to hurt me in that way. And so you go and you fill up a bucket and you put the tube inside of it and you fill it full of air, okay? Now, it's important to note that no amount of external pressure from the water is going to let you find the hole. The only way to find the hole in a bike tire is when the tube is full of air. When the tube has internal pressure, that's what allows you to find where the lack is coming from. Okay? The external pressure coming down on this thing is not going to let you find the hole. But helping that person be full of internal pressure so that they can find the hole, that's the way to do it. Okay? Y'all tracking with me? I'm almost there. Okay? So how do you create internal pressure in a person who's operating out of lack? If you look biblically how God does it over and over and over again, Job is a great example. God asks great questions. So if you're trying to honor somebody and trying to help somebody figure out why are they operating out of lack, what God does is he doesn't come against them with external pressure. Why did you do this? You've done the wrong thing. You've done this. Instead, he creates internal pressure in that person by asking them questions and allowing them to process on their own. And the internal pressure builds up so that they find the leak on their own. So, so Job is whining and complaining at the end of his life, and God says, you know, let me just ask a few questions real quick. You remember when I created the world? Were you there? You remember when I created the seas and put the boundaries on the seas? Were you there? You remember whenever you did it? Were you there? And he goes through like this giant list of stuff. And Job is just like, I can't imagine. How could you not just be like a, a lump on the ground, just crying and weeping and like hiding? And I'm so sorry. Please don't kill me. God asked questions. Jesus, he asked questions. Throughout all of the Gospels, basically everybody comes in contact with, when he wants to create internal pressure to have change and to help people find the lack in their life, he asks them questions and let them figure it out on their own through great questions. Okay? So, honoring people who hurt us. Number one, boundaries. Number two, ask great questions to help them find the lack inside of their own lives. Also, we have to realize that the source of the whole is not who they are. Say the source of the whole is not who they are. So if I'm walking along, we're walking on a construction site together, and I step on a board with a nail in it, and the nail comes through my shoe, and it goes into my foot. Ow! Oh! I look down, and I realize there's a board with a nail in it. The nail has entered my foot. This hurts. You walking with me, don't look at me and say, oh no, Grant is now a nail. Right? You realize something entered Grant's life that needs to come out. I need to help get that thing out and move on. Because what enters into your life is not who you are. 
So if you have a lack in your life, there's a hole somewhere in your life, that is not who you are. If there's a sin that's caused a hole in your life, that sin is not who you are. If you're operating out of self-pity and, oh, woe is me, and, and doubt and all these things, out of wrong mindsets because you're thinking the way that the enemy wants you to think, that is not who you are. And so my job as a, a loving, pastoral, honoring person is to help you see, through great questions, that is not who you are. Let's remove what caused the hole. Let's seal up the hole so that you can have peace. Homeostasis. Okay? On the home stretch. Last tip. Punishment versus consequences. Um, when we're honoring people, it's important to realize that there's a difference between um, punishment and consequences. So if we're in a loving relationship together and I'm walking along with you and you hurt me somehow, you do something against me that I don't like, and, and I feel like there needs to be a consequence for that. There needs to be punishment for it. Punishment operates out of control. Okay, punishment says, you did this to me, so I'm going to punish you because you didn't act how I wanted you to act, how I demanded that you act to me, okay? It's a controlling thing. Oh, you do this to me, then you get this because I'm controlling the way that you act towards me. You know with me? Now, consequence empowers people to be strong people and make strong choices on their own. And so if they do something that hurts you, you offer a consequence to them because it allows them to make the choice. Hey, look, if you're going to do that to me, there will be a consequence. You know, if you're going to chew me out and scream and yell and cuss me out, there will be a consequence. I'm probably going to put up a wall and protect myself, a little boundary, you know. But it's not me punishing you. It's totally your choice. If you want to act that way, it's totally fine. But there will be a consequence. And so what you're doing, instead of controlling them, you're giving the power to that person and allowing them to make their own choices, which empowers them to become who they really are. Did y'all track with me there? Okay. All right. So in conclusion, we're going to repeat it again. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Let's say it one more time. The principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. So here's my challenge for the week. This week, I want you to make a list of people that you operate, that you connect with on a regular basis. Kind of who are the main people in your life. Let's start there. Make a list of those people. And every day as you're spending time with the Lord, even if it's just in your car and you don't have time, you're just driving. Just have a list in your car. And look at each person and take time to stop and say, God, I'm with this person a lot. I want to be an honoring, loving person. I want to see this person how you currently see this person. So would you begin to show me and help me understand who is this person in your opinion? And then show me wrong mindsets that I have about who this person is. Because I don't want to align with the enemy because I don't want a life of tears. I want to align with you because I want a life of abundance. So who do you say that this person is? 
Write those things down. Journal those things down. Pray into those things. And, and I would have a specific time for each person and say, God, I've been believing this. I'm so sorry. I proclaim with you that this person is this. And even though I don't see it right now, this is reality. This is who they are. And I choose to give of my own resources and my own energy and my own time to help this person become who you say they are because that will position me to receive a reward in my life based on who they are. Okay? And go through each person. Kind of work your way down the list. Every day, take time to pray these things. And then as you're interacting with people that are difficult for you, who people have hurt you, also take time and just be real and say, is there a boundary that needs to be put in place? Is there a conversation that needs to happen where I make it clear, I'm never going to punish you, but there will be consequences if you continue to act this way. I'm giving you the choice. If you want to be in a relationship with me, great, I'd love to. But if you're going to act this way, here's the consequence for it, right? And just kind of think through, okay, God, how do I love these difficult people and how do I see them, even though it's so hard and so far from reality, how do I see them the way that you see them so that I can give to them and receive the reward in their life, okay? When you do these things, when you become, now let me say, you guys already are, like, such honoring and loving people. When we become more like the Lord in the way that we honor people, the Lord freaks out. <laughs> he smiles on you so greatly, and it will attract his favor and his presence. He, will, he, he can't stay away from people who love well. He simply cannot stay away, and you will find in every area of your life, as you begin to honor a few, it's like walking through a green garden everywhere you go because you're loving well in this one area it's going to attract him and everywhere he is there is abundance and beauty and wonderful things right okay so let me pray for us let's stand up let's just put our hands out receive from the lord for a minute father we love you we thank you for the way that you honor people even though we are so far from who you say that we are so much of the time, we thank you that you give us what we deserve based on who you see that we are ultimately, that you don't give us what we deserve based on our shortcomings right now. God, would you transform us and help us to become people who love other people the same way you love us? Would you transform our minds? Would you remove, even now, Holy Spirit, would you come and remove, just pull out of our minds every wrong thinking? Or don't, don't pull it out, but just highlight it, Holy Spirit. Every wrong thinking, every place where we're agreeing with the enemy about who people are instead of agreeing with God about who he says they are. Highlight those areas. Give us the opportunity to repent for those things. And then give us a revelation of who you say that those people are and help us to begin to give those people what they deserve based on who they really are. And we look forward to the rewards that come into our lives as a result of loving people well. And Lord, I just ask for this congregation, for the church over this whole semester that we would find ourselves as a transformed church. We would find ourselves as the most loving place in the city because we know understand how to love people very well we have a deep 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 love for each other in our hearts let it be a supernatural thing straight from the heart of heaven into us into this place let it be god we love you lord lord just bless everybody to have an amazing amazing week have great community groups great connections with friends 
In Jesus' name, amen.